Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? Welcome, welcome, welcome to our show. Good people, welcome. By the way, I don't want to discriminate bad people. Welcome to our show as well. Anyone who want to learn more about C-Level uh, and how it's important for uh, any company, business uh, to manage, to hire and uh, yeah, to make things happen. Welcome, because today we are going to discuss this topic with Gene Hopkins. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I can't believe you dug up those old pictures. <laughs> it's like, holy moly. <laughs> thanks. <Yeah>. I think. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. My team is responsible for that. I usually oh. tell them, please create some promo. And I don't know where they find all these pictures, but they I don't know. online. <laughs> I don't some know. of those are pretty old, <laughs> which is pretty Got funny. It. Okay, I'll tell them. <laughs> okay, right. uh, uh, Jen, uh, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about this very important topic. Well, I, I am sharing with you because you asked me to, so we can get that out of the way. My experience is I have about three decades of marketing experience. I started in public relations, um, moved into demand generation, and really have been concentrating on the B2B tech space in a variety of different companies, whether it's selling to IT folks, DevOps folks, those kinds of things. And marketers, I've been, you know, a marketer selling marketing tools to marketers for some time. So um, I, I get when the uh, when you're trying to create demand and you're trying to grow a company and grow some revenue, how difficult it is at times because sometimes your audience doesn't even want to talk to you ever, particularly DevOps peoples and engineers and anybody in IT. So um, trying to break through. Um, and actually have a chance to be able to talk to them is different. It's a, it's a different mindset and you have to think that way and you have to have the right subject matter experts on your teams um, to be able to break through the clutter. And podcasts like this is a great way to do it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love podcasts. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a good way, you know, <laughs> to yeah. build relationships, to grow your brand. You know, uh, let's talk about marketing. Can you okay. tell from your experience? Yep. How to create marketing strategy? Uh, it's not like, you know, uh, I see uh, the biggest problem when companies copy competitors. You know, they check out how competitors get traffic, mm -hmm. how competitors get sales and mm -hmm. do the same. But, you know, if competitors are good on YouTube uh, and uh, if I have no experience with YouTube, so why I need to film videos? So it's better to consider my strong sites and mm -hmm. uh, adapt to uh, customer preferences. Your insights, how to find the right or create the right marketing strategy? Well, there's an order of operations here. <laughs> and, and that if you don't, you first you have to look at the addressable market. What is the addressable market? It can't be everything for everyone, right? So what are you going after? So typically this is a startup as you're trying to figure out your strategy. And then the next thing is you want to be able to have a product um, that fits into that addressable market. And you want to start testing the ability. Does that product have product market fit? Is it, is it something that the customers actually want? At that point, when you have like five to 10 customers under your belt and you have a better understanding of what these customers are looking for in, in terms of your product market fit, then you can start working on your go-to-market strategy. Um, what happens 
happens in a lot of organizations is somebody comes up with a great idea for a product, but nobody wants it, right? It's, it's, it's a great idea, but nobody wants to pay money for it or nobody even wants to download it, okay? So you have to look first at what's the addressable market out there to see if there's even a product that makes sense. And then once you have the product tested, either freebies or very low cost, entry level kind of costs for people to be able to test it, provide the necessary feedback, at which point you have marketing be able to have the go-to-market plan, which as part of that, and here's the last order of operations, is how are you going to sell it? And what I see Mm -hmm. a lot of organizations doing is they say, hey, this is a great idea. Let's hire a whole bunch of BDRs or a whole bunch of whatevers and let them start pounding the phones. But if you don't have a message and you don't have the right product, it's just a waste of money. And so there is an order of operations that you have to consider um, when you're going to market. And a lot of organizations say, here's our strategy. We're going to go after this market and we're going to raise money for this. And that's all well and good when money costs nothing and you can blow through hundreds of millions of dollars. But when market, when money is expensive, you want to make sure that every dollar works for you. And you know, you want a dollar in and you want a dollar out at least, and hopefully more than a dollar. You don't want to be sinking money into it and to the point where you're you're out of business because before you even <laughs> before you even started. So those mm-hmm. are the so thinking about strategy, that's that's about three steps in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Valuable. I agree. Okay, uh, you know, I found on your LinkedIn that you uh, you worked in HubSpot, uh, uh-huh. and my audience knows this company. It's a well-known company. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, can you tell why HubSpot content uh, is so good that uh, uh, pushes me forward to consume this content, to read the blog, to uh, to sign to newsletter? Uh, because you know, I I, uh, uh, I have no time to consume a lot of content, but <laughs> yeah. I usually choose the best content. Can you tell what is the main difference uh, between HubSpot and other content? Well, um, it goes back to the beginning. I mean, Dharmesh Shaw and Brian Halligan founded the company in 2006. And before they ever even had a business or even a product, um, Dharmesh wrote a blog post and you can go back and you can find it. He wrote it six months before they were both at MIT at Sloan and they were um, looking for a business idea and he started writing blog posts. Now, Dharmesh Shaw, you can follow him in on startups. Uh, That's something you can follow him on LinkedIn. He's an extremely quiet, private person. And because he is, he's extremely thoughtful in everything that he writes and everything that he says. So that became the genesis for content. And then Mark Roberts joined the company in charge of sales and Mike Volpe joined the company in charge of inbound marketing. And the Mm -hmm. idea was to kind of flip marketing on its head and, and to become instead of pushing out all these messages was to get people to come and learn more. And when I was there, we had fantastic content creators. Very interesting. Rebecca Corliss, she could sing. She did all these great videos. If you go back in the day and think about it in 2009, um, Mike Volpe and Karen Rubin had HubSpot TV every Friday afternoon at four o'clock. Nobody was doing anything like that. But what they Mm -hmm. talked about was marketing for marketers. And for many marketers, as the shift started to happen, where, you know, where you had a lot of 
print, a lot of television, and then things were moving into this digital realm, marketers were concerned. They didn't know what they needed to do. But by paying attention to HubSpot, now, 10 years ago, I remember doing a series of webinars with Facebook 10 years ago, and they didn't have any marketers. So we did four back-to-back webinars one right after another on a Friday afternoon in, in the month of May. And we had 25,000 people register to learn how to build a company page, to learn how to do Facebook ads, to learn how to do these things. What, what HubSpot was really good at was bringing the content to the marketers and not charging for it, making it part of the process. Because even if you look at the overall community of HubSpot, it's mostly made up of community. Um, Not everybody's a HubSpot customer. Not everybody's a good fit for HubSpot, but it became a thing. uh, And it, it, you know, that it's something's new and different. It's going to pop up. (laughs) I have to laugh because last year, um, I don't know if you remember Coinbase, they, um, at the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. ad, they spent $6 million on a bouncing QR code. And, um, I, at that 10 years ago, I had written a book on mobile marketing that you talked about QR codes. And I had a blog post in the HubSpot blog. They didn't have anything else for content about QR codes. They, they resuscitated that blog post because it still <laughs> lives, right? It still lives in that environment. And they updated it a little bit. But the point is they're delivering content that's relevant consistently to their audience. They know who their audience is. They know how to talk to their audience and they 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 embrace that audience with the right kind of content to help marketers become better. Nice. Love it. Love it. Awesome. You know, uh, I found that you discovered new channels uh, and I think it's a good idea. For example, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk often shares that he started email marketing when nobody did it. Uh, he started <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, TikTok uh, when yeah. nobody did it. So, right. yeah, it, it's a good idea because uh, if uh, all channel is overwhelmed, you need to compete with many others. So it's hard. Right. Uh, can you tell how to find these channels, you know, from your experience? For example, you started, uh, you posted about QR code, you uh, tested many different things. So any insights how to find new channels today? Well, that's a great question. Um, what I do is I really like new technology and I will take a demo um, of any type of new technology. There's there's a great tool out there called User Gems that I learned about last summer. Um, they actually, they're fantastic because they have the ability to chase a person. So I left one company, joined another company, but I was a customer of User Gems or a customer of another bit of software. They have the ability to find out where I went and be able to reach out to me um, in my new environment. And when you're looking at databases deprecating at roughly 5% per month, by having that tool to be able to find people, customers, you know, customers, satisfied customers, to be able to find them in a new environment. And when they're starting a new job, they probably want to bring something on that they're happy with um, in the new environment. So I, over the years, I have software. I have different um, things in my tech stack that I really like and and bring with me typically to a new environment. But it's more a matter of being open. And I think one of the challenges for many marketers is 
you're stymied sometimes by your internal IT department because they don't want new things in the tech stack. Maybe you don't have the budget, but it's good to learn those things. And if you go to a virtual event or you go to a live event to actually check out what's going on in the booths to be able to learn if there's something new out there. Now, not everybody that's new has money to be able to go to those events. So belonging to groups, looking at, there's so many groups on LinkedIn that don't yeah. cost you a penny to belong to, but just kind of paying attention. Not everything is super hot. I mean, think about it a year ago, two years ago, everybody was all hot on Clubhouse. Well, where is it now? And now <laughs> the latest thing is chat GPT, but you know, everybody's like, it's always you know, down or at capacity right now, but it's like, do you really understand what that's supposed to be doing? And with, with this whole AI um, commentary, if you're not any good at creating content, don't expect chat GPT to do it for you. You have to be a darn good editor to be able to provide the right prompts, to be able to have the right information, to be able to have content that's relevant, that doesn't sound generic. And I, I think that one of the things that HubSpot was great at, they were very good at being able to put data together in their blog posts and in their eBooks to be able to provide content that had relevance to you as an individual. And it wasn't just speaking in generic marketing speak, which doesn't mean anything to anybody. And I guarantee you, we all, I mean, I, I know I have been guilty of generic speak, but I try when I do posts on LinkedIn to let a bit of my personality come through, good, bad, or indifferent. But, um, you know, just something that we have to have a little bit of personality because you never know when somebody's going to be early on at HubSpot. I had a partner relationship with Michael Stelzner, who runs social um, media marketing world. And it, he was just starting out and I was able to, he was just starting his newsletter publication. He was just starting his events. And I, as a result of that audience, social media, now mind you, this is 12 years ago. And it's hard to imagine somebody starting a social media newsletter or event or anything yeah. now. But back then it was interesting and he developed a really good, strong business out of it. But by working with him, I was able to buy leads for the sales organization at HubSpot at a very reasonable price. Good for him because he he was able to maintain a staff and maintain money. Good for me because these are people that were interested in Pinterest, in Facebook, in Twitter. And so what HubSpot's overall platform was able to take those inputs and be able to help the marketer um, be able to deliver the results um, via the, the, the HubSpot portal. So, you know, it, you just got to keep looking for the wins. Yeah. That's so valuable. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned two times about uh, finding great ideas. And I found uh, bad marketers uh, can destroy any great idea and uh, smart marketers can uh, implement any bad idea. So it depends on the team and our uh, topic, main topic about uh, T-level uh, fraction. Can you tell how to find great marketers? Because it's a big issue with my clients. It's a big issue with uh, my audience uh, because marketing takes time. It's not like overnight success. It takes so long yeah. time. But how 
two uh, companies that are busy to develop innovate their products they need to cooperate with great marketers who can help them and lead in the right direction because if you waste like uh, a few months that's okay but if you waste years you know it's it's not good any insights about finding uh, right marketers um okay <laughs> that's a very big question yeah. <laughs> first thing i would say is when you're looking at a marketing organization you want to make sure that they're not just doing activities for activities sake you know, more Instagram posts don't necessarily translate into more leads for your organization. So you want to be able to look at your channels to see how much effort are we putting against it and what are we getting back? That is data. That is being comprehensively thinking about math. <laughs> and mm -hmm. my experience has been that many marketers are great at brand or ideas or creativity and that sort of thing. But in reality, what organizations are looking for now are, is revenue marketing. Is what you're doing delivering have or have the ability to deliver revenue? And therein lies the challenge for many marketers because all of a sudden they have a quota on their head. They're being asked to work hand in hand with the sales organization, an organization that typically doesn't really like marketers all that much because marketers don't necessarily understand how difficult it is to be able to sell. So some of the things that you should look for, you should look for a marketer that understands data, that understands how to go into either Google Analytics or your HubSpot CRM or something to be able to develop dashboards that align with what's going on. You also want marketers that don't have a hate relationship with sales. You want them, like for example, before I went to work for HubSpot, I wanted to talk to Mark Roberge because sometimes salespeople can be kind of mercurial. You know, they can be up one day and down another day, but Mark was very on target with math. He's actually an engineering. He has an engineering undergraduate degree. He has a master's degree from um, MIT, I believe. And, um, but he thinks thought in terms of math. If we get 100 web visits, we're going to get, you know, 60 form completions of that, that's, you know, and how it turns into a lead and being able to understand how it ties back to revenue. Now, everything is not a lead. Form completions are just form completions. Website visits are just website visits. And email opens are not a, an indicator unless you yeah. have a very clean CRM. And if you have not cleaned up your CRM by using a tool like Zero Bounce, because again, getting back to the deprecation of your database, you could be sending emails to people that are no longer there, no longer care. It's just going out into the ether. And your data, your, your, your denominator is so much larger um, in terms of the percentage of emails that are opened or clicked through. because And so you've messed up your metrics right out of the gate. And I, I think that this is just, you know, to me, it's just common sense. But if you haven't gone through it and you don't understand the pain of it, it can be very a difficult hurdle to overcome within your organization. It's hard to be the only marketer in an organization. But what ends up happening for that only marketer is they try to wear 50 different hats. You know, they've got the cowboy hat, they've got the fireman's hat, they've got the police person's hat, the male hat, you know, all these different hats that they're trying to be subject to everybody, but they don't have a plan. And I think that if you start to think about it at, at HubSpot, um, Mike Volpe, 
wicked smart guy. Um, he wanted us to work in two week sprints. So you knew that you had X amount of hours to be able to execute. What, are, what were you going to execute against? How were you going to report on those sprints? So tying it to the engineering effort, the development effort of what was going on. And to me that it, instead of this, you know, boundless calendar. At some point we will deliver blah, 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 blah. If you said by the end of two weeks, we're going to do this, 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 and this, it, it forced, it was a forcing function to get stuff done in an economical way. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, you remind me uh, one story. Uh, once I spoke with a master who lost uh, 400,000 traffic a month because Google dropped uh, ranking positions on right. his website, but he didn't lose any sales. So <laughs> he got this <laughs> huge traffic without uh, monetization, without sales. Uh, can you tell how to unite marketing strategy with a buying persona? Because you share a lot to learn customers to understand their pain points. But how do I know that my content uh, can uh, help my customers and uh, lead them to buy uh, in some sunny day? <laughs> well, in typical product marketing fashion, you can go to Pragmatic Marketing Institute and they've got really good programs and they have a really good template to look at who owns what in an organization in terms of the selling function and the buying function. But I think that there's a couple things you can do as a marketer. You can start calling customers. You can talk to customers. And this is one of the things that they advocate on the product marketing side is talking to customers and understanding why did they buy. And then closed lost, talking to the, it's hard. It's difficult. You know, somebody doesn't buy from you. They're unlikely to pick up a phone. But if you had the ability to offer a gift card of some sort and you probably could bribe them into talking to you just so that you had a better understanding of it. But one thing that I have found that works in some organizations is what I would call the voice of the customer meeting. And I'd make it a monthly meeting where you talk about the three reasons you win and the three reasons you lose. And you have the product team on one side of the, the boardroom table and you have direct sales, indirect sales, tech support, customer success, marketing on the other side. And each of each team member goes, these are the three reasons we win and the three reasons we lose. And if if there is a product roadmap or you're constantly evolving the product, this gives you a chance to hear it from customer facing team members. And uh, unlike what ends up usually happening with poor product people, and I'm using, you know, not that they're poor, poor, but I mean, they're, they're like under pressure is salespeople do not understand sending 9 million Slack messages or emails about the color of the button needs to change because they've got a 10,000, 100,000, a $1 million deal. That's not part of the product roadmap. Sales is very in the moment and as they should be. Marketing is thinking ahead a quarter, I hope at least, and kind of planning out the, the next four quarters. But the product roadmap is really visionary. And dealing with the problems in the here and now and, and playing whack-a-mole with the sales organization means that the product managers in a development or engineering environment are really, they're trying to be nice. They want to be nice. But to them, it's like, you, you guys don't get it. I can't give you a green button. If I give you a green button now, we're not going to have a feature that 
you guys have been screaming about for six months. You know, they don't understand the horse trading that sometimes has to go on with some of these organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Okay, let's talk about finding uh, the right marketing channel. You know, marketing is huge. Many different approaches, a lot. Yeah. And I, I I love it that you use something that nobody used before, like webinars, many other stuff. So that's mm -hmm. great, you know, to, to be first uh, because when uh, many others will come, so engagement uh, is low. Um, if I remember, like uh, Gary Vee told, uh, when he started email campaign, he got 100% of open rate, you know, and uh, a lot of sales today. I don't know how to get even uh, 40% because it's hard, really hard. And uh, can you tell how to find the right marketing channel? Okay, I learn customers. I understand their pain points. But uh, how do I know that this marketing channel will work for me? You don't unless you try it. <laughs> so it's it's an experiment and and but you can't really go all in on something like you can't make a decision that we're going to sell on Instagram and that's going to be 100% of our effort. You need to test it and you need to test it and give it a long enough time frame, not longer than 30 days, right? You test it for 30 days and if it doesn't work, then pull the plug. And then if it does seem to be working, then go 90 days and then make a decision. What sometimes happens is that organizations make this decision, we're going to go all in on this, whatever this is. And you go all in on it and then it's a bust, it's a bomb, and people are afraid or nervous to back out of it like I was wrong. Most people are unwilling to say I was wrong. Um this was not a good idea <laughs> and fall on the sword. And so you don't have to go all in on something. You can test things. And it's this is one of the challenges with some software organizations, you know, that when you're buying software now, they want two years, three year commitments such, such as Gartner. Right. You can't buy Gartner investor or industry um, expert uh, relationships without doing a three year contract. You, you settle in for a three-year contract and it's a waste of money for you, you know, that's not a channel that you can test, but there's other channels that you could test. You could test Forrester. You could test some lesser known um, uh, uh, industry analyst groups and test to see if that has any relevance for you and if it's something that, that actually makes sense. I think channels change. Uh, first of all, you're always going to have email. You always have to have email, right? You are going to have some social media presence, whatever you pick, if it's LinkedIn first, if it's Instagram first, if it's Twitter, the key is not to spread yourself too thin. But I think that underused tools are video, um, are, are underused. Um, podcast creation has, has kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit, mostly because um, it's difficult to do this format. You know, finding the speakers, being a good host, coming up with something relevant, um, uh, descripting it so that you, you know, you have some decent content. It's, it's a challenge to be able to do this. Now there's some, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts out of there, but when does it become relevant? Um, a great guy that I know, Bernie Borges, he has a midlife fulfilled con, um, a podcast and it's a year old. He has 50, five episodes, I think, under his belt. He does it once a week. He does an Instagram live. He posts it. He, you know, he just, does, it's very methodical. He knows, but to him, it's still in its infancy. 
So when does it become a thing? And that's the, therein lies the, what happens with marketers is they lose interest, right? It's like, okay, this isn't generating the results that we want. So let's go back to HubSpot and their blog. Um, great guy, Rick Barnes. Um, he Burns, I'm sorry, Rick Burns. Um, he was a former writer for the New York Times. And he actually was would write long form content, which he called content that was like, you know, your roast beef content. And then you needed you needed some candy content, you know, some little fun facts and that sort of thing and developing your content strategy. But I look at um, John Bonini at Databox and he does a great job and they have twenty five hundred word blog posts that are filled with data. Absolutely phenomenal. And he has a great team of people um, that are able to pull together this pillar content. You can use a tool like Market Muse. Um, Market Muse has, um, I've been using them for a number of years, and they actually search the internet like you have a topic and they tell you how you can rank higher for keywords um, by changing up your content in a way, adding more facts, adding more data, adding more quotes, adding more, um, being able to make it so it's more relevant. So the content actually gets indexed by the Google machine. You know, this is an, as you said, it's, it's, a, it, you have to keep thinking. It's not a one and done. And that's one of the things that HubSpot does is they're constantly revamping content. They keep going back to the top pieces of content. Pam Vaughn, who is um, one of their heads of content there, she's always looking at what can we re redo? What, what can we add value to so that the content doesn't appear new, it just appears updated, which has more value in the Google algorithm. Nice. You know, you, you share a lot of valuable insights, so I need to visit an emergency <laughs> room, you know, <laughs> to consume all of this information. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Uh, I agree. I, I love all your sharing. And I think, you know, yeah, uh, I figure out how to invite great speakers to my podcast. Uh, just uh, I need to figure out how to be uh, to become a great host. You know? <laughs> it takes time. And uh, yeah, uh, I was blessed to speak with Jeff Coyle, you know, from Market yeah. News. He is co-founder. Yeah. 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 He's uh, a great I guy. love. Yeah, I love his content. And he, he even filmed a video for my SEO course okay. now to share how. Yeah, yep. you can get things faster than mm -hmm. usual. Mm -hmm. So yeah, love it. Okay, John, I have the questions about, um, we touched about learning customers, uh, pain points. And uh, I found when companies uh, getting this data about customers often limit their possibilities. Because sometimes we have experience, we have <laughs> intuition, you know, how to make things happen. And uh, testing is more about intuition. Okay, let me try it. And mm -hmm. I found many great influencers uh, mm -hmm. don't learn a lot about customers because they share content about themselves to unite with products and it works well. So can sure. you tell how to find the balance between data and intuition? <laughs> well... I, I, a good thing to do is take a test, you know, if you use like five seconds or something like that to, to be able to get a sense of the value, your value proposition. I'm going to say uh, approximately 100% of the time our guts are wrong. And if mm -hmm. you don't test it and actually map it to some degree of math, your intuition's wrong. You know, your, your idea that's a great color. Yeah, I love purple. You know, I, I think purple's great, but, you know, a lot of people don't like purple. So it's, it's like, what is it for me? What is it for the brand? And what is it for the customer? 
and being able to test out <clears throat> those methodologies. So it's, I think one of the challenges is that um, people that are maybe new to marketing, it, it seems, I, I'm a mother of twin 24-year-old daughters. They're both out of college. One's a data scientist, the other one's an engineer, okay? And they're on their own, right? But they're 24, right? And I've had a lot of 24-year-olds over the years work for me, and they're bright, and they're smart, and they're thinking about things, yet they don't have the experience, the construct, to be able to say, if I do this test, this is how I'm going to execute it. This is, you know, being making it time-bound, making it financially budget-bound, and then being able to report on the results. It's a lot of reasons when I have somebody go to an event, it's like, okay, you're going to go to the event, you're going to come back and you're going to spend an hour or 45 minutes presenting to your peers and anybody else in the company that wants to come to be able to help teach them what you learned at that particular conference. I'm not just going to send you to a conference and, you know, it's a boondoggle. I want you to be mm -hmm. able to learn something and then train the trainer, train somebody else. So I think that it's, challenging because many young people are afraid to make the wrong decision because they don't have enough experience or maybe they don't have the right manager that gives them that um, they, they need to have the trust of their manager to make sure that they don't feel like they're being, they're going to get kicked in the stomach for doing the wrong thing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what is the wrong thing? You know, they, it's, it's not just a permission thing. It's a, it's a matter of building up enough experience to be able to yourself, to be able to say, I'm going to try this, have this conversation and try it. Um, and I, I'll tell you, I learn so much from, <laughs> I remember this when I, at Lola.com a few years ago, I remember what is crazy young woman. She was so teeny tiny little person. And she said something to me like, Gene, you're the OG marketer. And I'm like, all, all I could think of was OG. I'm like, old gal, old girl. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean exactly? And she said the original. And I'm like, okay. Uh -huh. So, you know, to be around people that are using things. And, and, and I think there was a recent story, maybe in the Atlantic or the New York times about how these Younger folks don't like the jargon that we're so used to. I'm circling back. You know, I want to close the loop. You know, all this business jargon that is just floats around for us. And they're, they're looking at it going, I have no idea what you're saying. It's like you're speaking Martian to me. And, and we, as older executives, we just use this because it's just part of our muscle memory. It's a, it's a, you know, anachronism in, in our particular speech pattern, but they're, they're listening to us going, you know, <laughs> huh? So I, I think that, I think you can learn a lot from younger people um, and being able to let them, because they know a lot more, they're more, di they're digital natives, they're, they, they understand it, they see things that other people don't see, that, that, that they're not going to get up to your level in the organization. But I think it should be a responsibility of every member of the team to bring something new, bring something new, a technology, an idea, bring something new that hasn't been done before. Um, and I think that's a responsibility that we have as the OGs. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. By the way, my 12 years old son, 
usually edit uh, edit my videos on yeah. TikTok. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how to, to do it. <laughs> you know, I have I have uh, three designers in my team, mm. video mm-hmm. designers, but TikTok uh, is on my son's hands. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. He... That's great. That's good. It's good that he's helping you out. I hope you're paying him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I uh, I uh, I try to count how many times you uh, you share about wrong decisions. Uh, I lost my track after five or six times. But you know, let's talk more about that because you know, uh, in my life, I made a lot of mistakes. So many yep. mistakes. I, yep. I keep doing them. You know, uh, I think uh, uh, I remember when Elon, Elon Musk told about mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, you're not innovative enough. So we need right. to do mistakes right. in marketing. Right. It's experiment, testing. Mm-hmm. It's not even mm-hmm. uh, failing. Uh, can you list common mistakes that companies still do and uh, how to find a much better way to save time and resources? Okay. So I think there's many CEOs, COOs, CFOs that don't understand marketing. They could be a founder. They could be a technology founder, you know, the technical founder of the organization, and they don't really understand marketing and they think anybody can do it. And so they let people get involved in marketing decisions that aren't based on any form of reality. They hire a marketing person, that marketing person takes six months to be able to learn the market, be able to understand what the value props are, being able to socialize internally. They get it like another six months, maybe, and then they're going into a new fiscal year, and then you end up sitting down with a CFO who wants to cut your budget by 40%, but it still achieve the same high targets that, that you have. And I think the challenges for a lot of marketers is they don't, I have an undergraduate degree in accounting, Now, that sounds pretty silly, but I'll tell you it has saved my butt many, many times because I can have a conversation with the CFO or the controller of a company to talk about prepays and expenses. And I'm I'm super rigid about making sure that all the expenses come in, that everything has been charged or accrued in the right month or the right fiscal year, all that kind of stuff. And I, I have had almost no one in all of my teams over 30 years remotely interested in dealing with budget. So I think that the thing that you want to be able to understand is having a very strong financial, a good strong relationship with your financial leader in your organization. Because if you show that you're treating the company's dollars like they're coming out of your pocket, you build credibility in an area that is very important. The CEO, however, is usually full of uh, got glittery object uh, syndrome or they're idea puppies. Like, I know I've got a great idea. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and it's hard as a marketer not to shift your entire responsibility to be able to deal with that particular idea. And so you have to get buy-in that this is what we're doing this quarter. This is what we're doing this month great idea, but let's put it on the backlog. Until you have a system, and unfortunately, marketers in many areas, many companies, they're totally reactive. That's all they can do is react to all this stuff that's flying at them, flying from sales, flying from product, flying from, you know, just they're trying to deal with all that. And instead of having a plan and being proactive, because 
you know, let's, let's take 40 hours a week. Okay. Right off the top eight hours, you're going to eat lunch. You're going to go to the bathroom, you know, stuff is going to happen then. So you're down to 32 hours a week, right? Another 10 hours is probably taken up with meetings at a minimum, right? I've been in many C-suites where I'm in an all day Monday meeting, for, you know, for the whole day. And I know really, and nothing is accomplished, but you know, you yeah. just, you're trying, you're trying to, and then, so you're so far behind. So you have these meetings, you have these meetings, you have, so how much time do you have to get stuff done? And until you do that capacity planning for your team, you're going to have people that are going to be way overbooked. They're going to be at 120, 150% of their hours, and they're going to be scrambling to try to get everything done. And as a result, they're going to burn out or quit. And then you're going to have people that are under underutilized that until they have the ability to um, figure out when to ask for help. And um, I remember at Lola, I hired this great guy, Matt, we called him Des. And he, I could tell because we sat in an open office when he was struggling, I could tell, I could, I could see the physical, you know, like, how am I going to get this done? And I, I'd say, Des, you need to reach out to the rest of the team to see if they have any capacity to be able to help you. And this is this is teaching the team that they're an organism that they need to they have to work together to be able to figure out how to make things happen. And I remember talking to somebody oh, maybe back in September or something like that, and I was I was talking to the CEO, and she said, "Well, if if you come in here as the C level person, what exactly is it that you're going to do?" <laughs> Like, well, first of all, <laughs> I'm going to be responsible for the budget, the, the P&L, all that kind of stuff. And the second thing is I'm going to help make it easier for you to get things done. You told me you need more people. You don't have budget responsibility. You haven't been able to justify the need for additional people. My responsibility would be able to hold this, what I call a golf umbrella over your head and keep you from having to deal with the crap, the board, the C-level, the team. You know, you can execute on those things that you do really well. Well, I want to be a vice president. And I'm like, in order to be a vice president, <laughs> you really have to be able to have these conversations that are not she was a very unhappy person. And I thought to myself, this, whatever happens, you know, they, if they elevate her, she had burned so many bridges internally. I was very worried for her because she hadn't figured out how to socialize ideas, how to get other people to advocate for what she's looking for. And I think this is a challenge in many organizations because the marketer whoever the chief marketer that's coming in is usually the new person in town, right? And they don't have the five years of experience with the sales team. They don't have 10 years of working in the finance department. They don't have seven years of working on the dev team. The marketing person is like a revolving door. And, every, and until you figure out how to justify the value that you're bringing to the organization and be able to get other people to buy into it, you're going to remain the weakest link in the chain. And that, that's, that's the hardest part, I think, for people. Nice, nice, awesome. Yeah, love it, love it, brilliant. Uh, Jim, I have the final question. The final uh, question. Yeah. Is it worth a million dollars? I don't know. For, for <laughs> someone, <laughs> you know, for someone, you know, uh, you know, I have in my network students who are looking mm -hmm. for ways mm -hmm. to uh, 
learn something new to go ahead. Many of them uh, are looking for ways to learn marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, completely from scratch. What will you do today to learn more about marketing? I think um, what I advocate for most students is learn how to speak publicly, learn mm -hmm. how to do podcasts like this or webinars, learn how to share content, figure out how you can have a conversation without saying, uh-huh, yeah, you like, love, you know, being able to have a, a presentation style that, that earns respect. For you in an organization. Now you can join something like Toastmasters. You can figure out how to be able to speak. But I think a lot of students especially struggle with that. And if they can get over that hurdle and figure out a way to, be, you can learn, look at us, we're sitting here and we're learning from each other. So if they started their own interview program by talking to marketers just for 10 or 15 minutes, they're going to get all these little snippets of ideas. And, but until you have the pain, until you've been fired, I've been fired, um, until, you, until that happens, it, it's not real um, to them. And marketing is not, is not a discipline that is easily taught without experience, unlike accounting. It either adds up or it doesn't add up, right? And so one of the things that you want to be able to figure out, I believe, is how can you socialize ideas internally so that you get buy-in from other people? I had this great guy, Connor Gross at Lola. What a brilliant idea. This guy was just so, it was like, go, just do whatever you want to do because it's just great. And he figured out all sorts of these cool things. Did I've never seen anybody else have as many great ideas and figure out how to execute against them. You know what he was good at? He was good at building relationships. He built relationships throughout the entire organization. And to me, that was the most valuable thing that you could do if you're trying to learn marketing or learn anything, quite frankly. Nice, nice. I agree. I love it. Jen, it's a big pleasure to get Thank on you. my show, to learn from you. Tell our audience the best way how to reach out to you, how to learn more about you, how to follow you. Um, well, you can go to um, LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Gene Hopkins, or you could go to Twitter and I'm there as Gene Hopkins. Nice, guys. You can find a LinkedIn profile and Twitter in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Love it. <laughs> so valuable. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that people love it. Thanks, guys, for listening and watching us. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.